from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It's Thursday night. Our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, we don't normally bring on guests right at the top of the hour. I like to give you some headlines and some news. But there's a story that caught my eye, uh, both on social media and then uh, I saw a piece right here in the Daily Wire. Listen to this. Federal air marshals diverted... Uh, from sensitive flights to follow January 6 suspects. And that's according to officials. And there's a whole story here about how there's this uh, Operation uh, Quiet Flight or whatever it's called. And I was scrolling through my Instagram, at Rich Valdez, by the way, and I see all of a sudden uh, my buddy James O'Keefe, and he's talking about how he was on a domestic flight and they put some sort of designation on his uh, boarding pass. And it it just... uh, it was shocking to me. Uh, then I go on Twitter and I see Tom Fitton doing a press conference right outside of Congress. And he's talking about how there are so many different things that are happening right now. Police state tactics that are going into stifling and surveilling conservatives across the country. And it's honestly mind blowing. You would think that this is Orwell's 1984 or something out of a different country. But welcome to Biden's America. Listen to Tom Fitton. Uh, We have a simple request for Congress. Do your job. It's not enough to do investigations and reports. We need to stop the government corruption and abuse uh, that is so concerning to the American people. Uh, In this new budget fight, or basically the old budget fight that we're being asked to pretend is new, uh, there's an inflection point. Are we going to continue to fund Republicans in the House? The wild abuse by the Biden administration of its political opponents, the mass censorship of tens of millions of Americans, the border invasion we've heard so much about, and the other wild abuses of power that are right now fully funded with Congress. And I don't know what we're talking about with a clean CR. I see a dirty CR, a CR that will fund the worst the dirty politics and corruption in our federal government. So I agree with what he's saying. Are Republicans going to continue to fund this? And part of what they're doing at the Department of Homeland Security is issuing this SSSS designation, Secondary Security Screening Selection. And uh, they did it to none other than our buddy James O'Keefe from O'Keefe Media Group. I call him O'Kizzle My Nizzle. James O'Keefe, welcome, sir. Hey, Rich. How you doing? I'm doing great, brother. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, so did they hold you up for a long time at the airport? What's going on with this really, uh, quadruple S designation? Well, thanks, Rich. It was really strange. I was in Palm Beach, and uh, uh, they basically shut down the whole the whole line for like f- five minutes. They had hundreds of people that were waiting. And as I went through, there was an SSSS designation on my boarding pass. And they just completely shut down the line. I asked the TSA agent, how often does this happen? He said, once a month. So I've heard this is this happens with international travel or January 6th people, but but I've never seen it on a domestic one-way flight like this. And um, 
and I have a history of being targeted by the Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Patrol. So it was very unusual. Now, James O'Keefe, was all they did was uh, what we saw on your video where they were talking to you and explaining that it occasionally happens when you buy a one-way uh, ticket um, last minute, or was there more? Did they bring you to an office or anything like that? Well, they grope you for a very long time. They, you know, and this is this this type of groping. This goes beyond the pale. And they turn your laptop on, and and I'm, I have another video of him saying that this, you know, this only happens once a month. So I buy one way tickets all the time. In fact, most mm-hmm. of my tickets are one way, and they're all domestic. So. I just don't understand why this is happening all of a sudden. Me either. And do you, do you anticipate that this has anything to do with uh, upcoming work that you have and uh, stories you're about to release? That's what I said to the guy. I'm like, well, we're doing a story on Chinese biolabs right now. So, you know, does this have to do with that? I mean, nothing would surprise us anymore, Rich. You just talked about it a moment ago with the uh, with what we're finding out now about uncovering if you liked the wrong tweet they're spying on you so right I, I we have to we have to assume that there's foul play and and um with these tsa agents i did take out my recorder and i started recording the guy and he's like oh i recognize you and yeah yeah i recognize <laughs> you so it's just funny how how these these government employees will go along with this um some of them are are, are not bad people but they need that paycheck and they need that pension yeah, I, I hear you. And, you know, that that's something I talk about a lot. And oftentimes they hide behind the guise of altruism. Like, no, 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 we're here for the public good. We're doing public service, this, that, and the third. They're no different than you, me, or anybody else that's uh, working a construction job, trying to make uh, a dollar, trying to earn a pension and do what they do. James O'Keefe, um, how do you expect this to continue for you? Do you expect more harassment? Do you think it was just happenstance? Uh, anything leading you to believe that uh, this is specifically targeted toward you and trying to kind of uh, chill your reporting? Well, I put a recording up on Twitter this or X this weekend of them, the security and border uh, customs and border patrol officials asking me who I voted for and asking me why I vote for Trump. So <laughs> what, what does that have to do with anything? Why would they ask those questions? They asked me what my next project was. They asked That's me all these classic. ridiculous questions. So I just, they asked me, like, one of, one of the ladies uh, in Customs and Border Patrol, this is America, not, not Russia or Saudi Arabia, asked me, I just, try, I just want to understand why you do what you do. I mean, it's just, what, what does this have to do with anything? And, and I yeah. think that if they were to interrogate New York Times reporters or NBC News reporters, then, you know, that would be, that would be, there would be outrage in the streets. Right. And I mean, and it, it's safe to say that this is not something that happens to citizens, right, on a domestic flight. If you're coming from another country and you're presenting a foreign passport, sometimes they'll ask you, what are you doing here? Where do you work? What do you do? And I think that's all commonplace. But for somebody that's um, uh, a citizen on a domestic flight, that's unheard of. And honestly, it's out of control. You handled it better than I would have. I would have made headlines for a different reason. James O'Keefe, I want to thank you for being here. Let everybody know how they could follow you and keep up to speed with the work that you're doing and future stories that you're about to release. Yeah, it's O'KeefeMediaGroup.com. Uh, if you want to be a citizen journalist, it's O'KeefeMediaGroup.com slash academy. And you could sign up and we'll teach you how to do this. And then the young woman got a story on the Chinese biolabs in California this week. We paid her 3000 bucks after getting the story. So, uh, so stay tuned.
All right, folks, that's James O'Keefe. Check him out at uh, O'Keefe Media Group, OMG. James O'Keefe, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Folks, we're going to continue with our discussion on the decriminalization of crime. That's right, uh, Oregon decriminalized crime in, uh, I don't know, last year, the year before. And boy, are they, well, you'll find out exactly how they're feeling. I don't think it went too well. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And, you know, I'm looking at the news today, right? And there's a story here in the San Francisco gate. Uh, the police in San Francisco are trying to crack down on retail crime. They arrest 17 people in one day at one store for, you know, going in and robbing the place. Then you've got a man killed in Los Angeles right in his home with this random act of violence. And uh, you got an 84-year-old man in Pennsylvania kills his wife during an argument over money uh, for their cat's vet bill. How about that? Uh, I mean, this is just crazy. Uh, And the mother of a teen who beat a teacher over a Nintendo Switch, one of those handheld um, Nintendo games, um, she's now asking the judge for leniency. Now, if you've seen the video, this kid is a behemoth. This kid is, I don't know, 6'3", 6'4". It's probably more like 6'5", 6'6". But the video, you know, is unclear because the woman's tiny. And uh, the teacher, and he just destroys her, just goes to town on this tiny woman. I mean, it's absolutely uh, brutal. And the mom says, uh, he's 6'6". I knew it. Giving him uh, 6'3", 6'4". I just thought I was exaggerating if I would have said, this guy's like 6'6". No, he's legit 6'6". And he uh, beat the crap out of that woman. Uh, they want leniency. Uh, I'd say um, ask the other inmates for leniency when they put them in jail, but throw the book at them. And, of course, there's all of that, and then there's Oregon, right? Good old Oregon. And what does Oregon decide to do? Well, last year, they decided to uh, decriminalize hard drugs. Yeah, you would think that they'd know that you shouldn't uh, decriminalize drugs. Uh, Obviously, what happened after that was people went from hiding their illicit drug use to just doing it right there out in the open. And when you let criminals know that they're allowed to break the law, they do it brazenly and they do a lot more. I don't know if the people in Oregon know, but I'm a native New Yorker and I can tell you, um, crackheads break into cars. They steal anything. I've seen crackheads try to sell me a box of used baby wipes. That means they robbed it out of some woman's baby carriage and they took some kids' baby wipes and they were trying to sell them for a couple of bucks. I mean, this is legit stuff I've seen with my own two eyes. Why on earth anybody would decriminalize the use of illicit drugs is absolutely insane. But I'm sure they have a position on it. And Sergeant Betsy Brantner Smith, uh, she is the spokeswoman for the National Police Organization Association. Excuse me. Uh, she's with us now. Sarge, welcome back. Hey, Rich, thanks so much for having me back. I so appreciate it. And I'm so glad you're talking about this. Oh, it's my pleasure to talk about it. There's always something to talk about when it comes to crime. And I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, by the way. Tell me what your uh, initial reaction is to this um, 
to this, you know, revisiting of Oregon's decriminalization of hard drugs? Well, of course, when all of us in law enforcement saw this, you know, we all looked at each other and said, well, uh, we predicted this in 2020. You know, Oregon passed Measure 110. It was the and they did it in 2020. This was the first of its kind in the United States. And they basically decriminalized most hard drugs, including heroin, including fentanyl. And they said, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the cannabis tax profits and we're going to fund rehabilitation for drug addicts. And we're just so sure that most people that are doing hard drugs, when the police hand them a ticket, which is all they're going to get for that heroin, that fentanyl, that cocaine, they're going to reach out, get rehab, and everybody will be much better off. Well, of course, we know that's not how it worked out. Well, you know, Sergeant Smith, uh, what's funny about this is that they did the same, not the same thing. I mean, that's kind of what they do in New York City, Uh, not with uh, drugs per se, but with everything. And they call Mm -hmm. it a desk appearance ticket. And you're supposed to come back in order to go to court. Uh, you know, but what most people don't realize is that nobody ever shows up again because there's no enforcement of these laws. And on the street, the uh, desk appearance ticket is known as a disappearance ticket because people just disappear and they never see them again. And it seems like the same thing's happening in Oregon. Well, exactly. They have issued 6,000 tickets for (laughs) serious drug possession since they have decriminalized these drugs. But but only 92 of those 6,000 people have even called and completed a drug assessment, much less went into rehab. But what they have seen, of course, is a 23% increase just in one year um, with uh, fatal overdoses. Go figure. You know, and there, there was always this, and I'm so glad you brought this up at the beginning, Rich, because you said, you know, what, what happens? Crack dealers, drug dealers, they'll steal anything, right, to fuel their oh, habit. Yeah. We're always told drug use is a victimless crime. It's not a victimless crime. And drug dealers victimize the weak. Drug addicts victimize people like you and me. And uh, it's not a victimless crime. And it, it, it's going especially poorly for Oregon because they have managed to just destroy uh, th- their law enforcement in their bigger cities. So now there's, you know, there's no one to even hardly issue these tickets. So what, what happens from here um, is the law enforcement establishment uh, changing their tune? Is the political establishment changing their tune? Are the people up in arms or is everybody still just as happy that they've decriminalized uh, the the drug use um, as they were when this initially happened? Well, we're coming into an election year, of course. So I think you're going to see um, some definite movement in the Oregon legislature. I think they're going to walk back some of that measure 110 and they're they're also going to have to uh do something in cities like Portland and Eugene where they just you know they decimated their police departments and uh, you know for example you know Portland the the largest city there they have 1.26 police officers for every 1000 residents that is an unaccepted level. You call 911, it can take up to a half an hour 
for a level one priority call for a police officer to even get there. So, and of course, you know, you go, if, I don't know if you've been to Portland lately, but it's just, it's like San Francisco, the homelessness, the fentanyl, and, uh, and they cannot seem to get people, go figure, uh, to come and be Portland Police Bureau police officers because that police department has been one of the most abused police departments in this nation, uh, frankly, in the last 10 years, not just the last three and a half. And uh, the cops have had it. They're done. They're over it. I'd be over it, too. It sounds absolutely <laughs> insane to think you, you sign up to, you know, for the job and you think you're going to enforce some law. And then you get some uh, left-leaning politicians that are uh, hiding under the progressive banner. And the next thing you know, nothing's illegal anymore, even if you lock people up like in New York. Uh, my brother recently passed away. And a couple of my other brothers are cops, and some of their cop friends came to the uh, the wake. And I was talking to a guy who's on the job, 16 years, NYPD, and he's telling me, he's like, you know, it doesn't matter. He's like, look, I'm that guy that I don't care. I don't care if they give me a rip. I, I will still lock people up, even if we got to let them right back uh, out. But he said, the command literally tells you, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Take it easy on these mm-hmm. people. And uh, and he was saying, I just can't. I I don't care. And he's like, you know, and I'm here too long. So whatever. What are they going to do? Throw me out now? Uh, but it, it was just an interesting conversation. And he was saying that it doesn't matter. The the DA's office just doesn't bring the charges. So if nobody's bringing charges, really, what are you supposed to do? And he said, you know, I still talk to people. I still give them warnings. I'm still very stern. He said, but it, it the days of policing like it once was, where people either feared or respected the constabulary. It, it just doesn't exist anymore. And it's very sad, Sarge. Well, it is really sad because, as you know, because you're part of a law enforcement family, cops, we don't do this job because we want to go push people around. We do this job because we believe in that mission of keeping our communities safe. And the way that we keep our communities safe, one of the reasons, one of the ways we do that is to put the bad guys in jail. And when you don't get to put any bad guys in jail, you feel like, you know, it's it's just like if you had a radio show and nobody listened. What would right. be the point? <laughs> I'd be talking to myself. Folks, we're on with Sergeant <laughs> Betsy Brantner-Smith from the National Police Association. We're coming right back with her. She's got a lot of stories to tell, and she knows where the bodies are buried. Keep it locked right here. Rich Valdez, America at Night. Don't go anywhere. truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. 
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our conversation with Sergeant uh, Betsy Brantner-Smith uh, from the National Police Association. And um, Sergeant Smith, uh, when, we, um, when we opened the, the interview earlier, uh, there were a bunch of stories that I saw today, and these were just from today, uh, of, of these, you know, the San Francisco police trying to crack down on retail crime. And this seems to be one that's all over the place. Forget just the San Francisco police. They might be trying today for whatever reason, but this is happening in New York and we're seeing it all over the country in a lot of large metropolitan areas in big cities. And uh, I, I don't see it making a difference. In fact, we've seen large chain stores shutter their doors. Uh, what's your take on what's going on? Is this problem getting any better or is it getting worse? Well, I think it's going to get worse in the next um you know, month as we're, you know, into the Christmas season here, the problem is when there's no incentive to stop committing crime, people are going to continue to commit crime. I mean, that's, you know, just like what we were talking about in Oregon, people used to go into rehab when they were drug addicts because you were told go to rehab or go to jail. And now you don't, there's no threat of any kind of punishment. So I think what we're going to see during this uh, retail season is the, the gangs that, you know, these retail theft gangs that you see, you always see the videos, you know, they're going to ramp it up. Um, Now there, there is some, there's some good news in the horizon uh, on the horizon for the retail theft there, the federal and local authorities um, the FBI is getting involved. They're forming task forces and they're doing a better job of monitoring online, um, uh, you know, uh, pawning, if you will, of stolen uh-huh. goods. Because that's the thing. People need to understand that, uh, you know, even you can even go on Amazon sometimes and buy things that were stolen from Macy's or Target or whatever. So now um, we've got law enforcement is uh, getting together, which is nice, you know, fed, state, local, and uh, they're forming these task forces. But um, I do think it's going to get a little worse before it gets better. And people are afraid. I don't know. You might've talked about this earlier or saw it earlier, but Gallup just did a poll and, and fear of crime and fear for people's personal safety is the highest that it's been since 1993, and I just find that incredibly sad. People in America shouldn't be afraid. I agree. And, you know, I think um, there was a clip that I saw on... Do you have that clip of black women in Chicago being afraid of crime? Of, uh, regarding crime in Chicago, and I was talking about that mm-hmm. yesterday. And uh, because the, the Chicago mayor was really just making some crazy comments saying that the reason for crime... <laughs> in in chicago was because of uh right-wing extremists yes raggedy <laughs> white funny. ring extremists <laughs> and uh 
And uh, what's what's interesting is uh, there was um, another story I saw of, of several residents in Chicago, and, uh, and they were all women, and and they were saying that you know they're they've they're fed up with crime, and it's just astonishing to me how we just don't have a grip on this, and not it's not only that we don't have a grip on it, it's almost like we we foster it so that it continues to happen. And, and I know we've had this discussion before and in the past, but in your uh, history, uh, in your experience uh, as a law enforcement officer, have, have you ever been through a period of time like this where people just abandoned the rule of law and people were just afraid to be in the streets? I remember when I was a kid, the streets were very bad in New York City. And, and a lot of people were carrying guns and knives, like including my mother. And uh, people took everything <laughs> into their own hands because it was a crazy world. I don't know if we're there yet or worse, honestly. Um, but uh, what's your take? Well, we are about at those 90s crime levels that we saw. And I was a cop in the 80s, 90s, and then into the 2000s. And uh, But people are so much more vicious now, you know, we expect street gangs to be vicious and, and we, ex- we expect certain types of criminals to be vicious, but we're seeing a viciousness, I think, now in, in juveniles and in just your average man. Like you talked about that homicide um, that w- it happened yesterday or today uh, where a man murdered his wife over the cat's vet bill. And, yeah. and uh, I I think that we just see an absolute lack of concern for life, of care for life, and also for care and concern of the properties of others. And like nothing I've ever seen in my lifetime. So, you know, this is the thing we can, we can put everybody in jail, uh, you know, but we, we still have a heart problem in this country. And I think, you know, it goes back to schools and parenting and religion and, you know, so many things. And, uh, but we, um, America doesn't have the heart for each other. Americans don't that I think we did even in the nineties. Sure. Yeah. I, I think my, my opinion is that it, there's a, there's been a hyper secularization of society where, I, um, there's people out there that say, you know, the more religious societies are, uh, the, the, the more violent they are. And I think that's the craziest thing I've ever seen uh, or heard. Uh, I think the reality is when, when everybody was going to church, whatever church they went to, um, synagogue, mosque, whatever, you name it, I think everybody was a lot more peaceful. People had, uh, they, they embraced certain universal morals like the Ten Commandments and, and just being courteous to your neighbor. And I think that's, that's gone. You know, I was talking to my daughter today. She's 22. She works at a preschool. And uh, we were talking about just kids in general, how, you know, kids can be rude sometimes. And she said, you know, I've been doing this for a couple of years and I've never seen these kids as rude as they are right now. She said, they'll throw things right on the floor and I'll say, well, you got to pick that up. And they'll go, no, you pick it up. (laughs) And and these are little kids, really little kids. But I thought to myself, um, you know, if she's noticing it, I'm noticing it and you're noticing it. We're trending in a very, very dangerous direction. So when we come back, I want you to share your thoughts on that as well as, uh, you know, probably um, 
uh, I want you to dig into your treasure trove of stories and give us one of the, the most golden nuggets you got in there because you've got some of the best stories out there. Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith from the National Police Association is with us. We're coming right back. Again, if you want to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, and we're with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith from the National Police Association. And uh, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith is uh, not only just a fantastic guest, but she's got amazing stories and brings a a lot of history from being on the job herself uh, to the conversation. And we were talking about how there just seems to be a general lack of civility and how humanity seems to be dissipating in society today. Uh, Sergeant Smith, tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, uh, the most prominent example you've seen of this um, or the juxtaposition or contrast of it that you've seen in in your whole career. Well, I got to tell you, you know, when you when you look at the numbers of police officers that have been shot in this country this year. We've had Mm. nearly 350 police officers shot in the line of duty. We're going to have less uh, police officers killed this year than we did in the last two years. But people are shooting at the police and ambushing the police in such high numbers because there not only is there a disregard for each other just as citizens there is an absolute disregard for authority we we had a in the last 24 hours we had three police officers killed in this country one shot and killed in a in a traffic stop in Cortez Colorado and just tonight today we had two police officers two state troopers in Nevada killed by a hit-and-run driver. So there just seems to be no care, no concern for each other, and also for consequences. And I think that's the biggest frustration. You know, we, we talk so much about, gosh, the police, you know, they need to arrest these people, they need to arrest those people. If there's nobody that will prosecute those crimes, those arrests are worthless. You know, the cops don't, you know, you know, the cops don't prosecute the cases, they simply present them to the district attorney or state's attorney. And, uh, and I, I think that's the, just the, this attempt for the last three and a half years to destroy the American justice system through these woke prosecutors, through defunding the police, through, uh, you know, politically connected or, you know, politically leaning judges. You know, we have the best justice system in the world, and it's, it's, it's systemically being destroyed 
quite frankly. And, uh, and that's just egregious to someone like me who has been in the criminal justice system since I was 17 years old and a police dispatcher. I can't believe what I'm seeing in 2023. Um, me neither, honestly. Uh, it's, it's shameful. I look at this and I go, well, how do we get here? How do we have, this isn't the first instance. Um, what I read to you before that one headline, uh, the mother of a teen who beat a teacher over a Nintendo, a handheld Nintendo, the Nintendo device has asked a judge for leniency in sentencing. One of the moms from, uh, the mother of the, the black kid, the, the Spanish kid's mom said, I hope God will forgive him for, for the guys that ran over the, uh, retired police chief. I think it was in Arizona mm-hmm. or, And the other mom said, my kid will be vindicated. He didn't do this. And I thought this is like, there should be a crime against that. (laughs) You're raising. (laughs) Right. And and that's, and that's exactly it. This is a multi generational problem. And that's why those kids in Las Vegas, those two kids who went on that, uh, crime spree where they stole cars, ran people, and ultimately killed a retired police chief who was just riding his bicycle down the street trying to stay in shape. When they went to court, I happened to be in Vegas the day that they went to court, and I was watching it on the local news, and they were rude, they were flippant, they, they were, were laughing. laughing at the victims' uh, families, and and you know, and now you have these parents. Uh, you know, and, and, and again, that teacher who got beat for taking away the Nintendo Switch, everyone needs to watch that video. That is Absolutely. not a child striking a teacher. That a is a man, a huge human being trying to, I think, trying to kill that teacher. That teacher is luckily, lucky to be alive. But again, we've got parents who say, oh, not my little Johnny, not my Joey, not my Sally. And uh, when you have multi-generational disgust for others and disgust for our American way of life, this all goes back to the Constitution. The Constitution simply says, you know, you leave my stuff alone, I'll leave your stuff alone, you don't hit me, I don't hit you, and if either of us gets out of line, there's an entity, the criminal justice system, who steps in and takes care of business. And we're losing that. People need to be frightened because we really are losing that. You know, Sergeant Smith, something I'm learning in life, I'm 45, and I always used to think some people are idiots, some people are good people. But I'm learning that, you know, if, if you love yourself, oftentimes you'll be able to love other people. And if you hate yourself, it's very easy to hate other people. If you're a miserable SOB, you could care less about yourself. You don't care about anybody. And it seems like this is an epidemic that's going on where people just don't care about themselves. They're, they're willing to let themselves down. So they're happy to let everybody else down because standards are just erased. And uh, we're, we're grateful for the work that you do and that the uh, National Police Association does to highlight these issues uh, because I think society at large benefits from these conversations. So thank you for being with us tonight. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I hope you have an even better Christmas and a great new year. You are a uh, gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot, Sarge. <laughs> thank you so much. I always love your show, and I love I love coming on it even more. So thanks for having me. You bet. 
Folks, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith from the National Police Association, check out their website and give them a follow on social media. Uh, And straight ahead, we are going to continue the conversation with your phone calls and a couple of other tidbits I want to give you. So don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back, amigos. Uh, we continue our conversation on everything that was going on. Check this out. So those two teens we were just talking about, the two that are have been now arrested and are awaiting trial for killing the uh, retired police chief in Las Vegas, they were tried as adults because they were both older than 16 at the time that they committed these infractions, right? These, these heinous, uh, violent crimes, multiple crimes, not, not just the murder of, uh, the retired chief. But what's interesting about the Nevada state law is that while they'll be tried as adults because they're not 18, they, they don't qualify for the death penalty. So they will eventually, um, potentially qualify parole for parole, excuse me, but they, um, they don't, they don't qualify for the death penalty. And it made, um, the folks in the control room start thinking and, uh, they did a little bit of research and we found out that the youngest person to ever be executed, uh, was 14 years old. What was the name? George Stinney Jr., who was executed, uh, I his crime, I don't know. But apparently he murdered two girls. That was the accusation, and and he was put to death at 14 years old. And it, it's just interesting. I mean, I'm glad we don't kill 14-year-olds right now, uh, but that would be an interesting argument, right? Uh, definitely an interesting argument to have. Now, I wanted to also give you an update on something that's going on tonight. I know that you guys are all not listening to this show because you've been watching the debate between Governor Gavin Newsom and Governor Ron DeSantis very intently. Well, as we get more updates on that, we'll bring them to you. But so far, what I see is Newsom hasn't landed a glove on America's Governor Ron DeSantis. Not at all. And that's a name given to him by the the great one, Mark Levin, one that I wholeheartedly uh, support. And... um, Governor DeSantis, while he's never accepted our invitation on this program, is still welcome to come and join us and talk about his campaign for president. But uh, it seems like he's really holding his own in this governor-to-governor debate uh, between Governor Gavin Newsom and Governor Ron DeSantis. And um, and again, it's, it's your run-of-the-mill stuff. I think Newsom says he doesn't support any restrictions on abortion. Any. You know, like, hey, like, you know, like the New Jersey. 
the New Jersey policy here is you can have a, a late-term abortion up to the ninth month. Just imagine that, right? So for everybody who's out there, it's like, listen, I'm pro-choice. That's a good thing. It's fantastic. We should be able to have rights, women's rights, reproductive rights. Nine months, right? A nine-month baby in your belly. 40 weeks in. Come on. That's sick. It's murder at, at 40 weeks. It's murder in the beginning. It's where I, that's my position. And some people are comfortable with it or they justify it. Some are not. Anyway, folks, we continue. We'll talk about the debate and so much more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, earlier I mentioned that there was a reintroduction of the articles of impeachment against Alejandro Mayorkas for the disaster he's done at the border. Well, it seems that Marjorie Taylor Greene has now tabled those and rescinded them because she's come to an arrangement with Speaker Mike Johnson and uh, Mark Green saying that they will, in fact, support the impeachment. I uh, just got to give them a little more time because they're busy with this Hunter Biden stuff. So it looks like there might be some traction there. We'll see if it's not just a stalling tactic. Uh, but that's that. Then there's also a story coming out of Texas where a judge is now ripping Biden, saying that the White House's handling of the border in uh, the dispute over the barrier created by razor wire was um, was a poor handling. And the Border Patrol agents for now can cut the razor wire that Texas installed on the U.S.-Mexico border under the judge's ruling that also took Joe Biden's administration to task for its handling of the immigration enforcement. The ruling is uh, a temporary defeat for Texas officials who say that Border Patrol agents have reportedly cut, damaged, and moved some of roughly 30 miles of uh, concertina wire that the state installed near the border um, in uh, Eagle Pass where lots and lots, but very big numbers of um, illegal migrant crossers have come into the country in recent months. Now, U.S. District Judge uh, Aliyah Moses, an appointee of former President George W. Bush, initially issued an emergency order back in October that prevented agents from cutting razor wire in Eagle Pass, except if it was an absolute emergency. Uh, but yesterday... Uh, she ruled that the state hadn't met the requirements to issue a wider preliminary injunction. And at the same time, she said the razor wire had proved to be effective at deterring migrants elsewhere. So the quote here is, the law may be on the side of the defendants and compel a resolution in their favor today, but it does not excuse their culpable and duplicitous conduct, uh, wrote 
the judge. The evidence presented amply demonstrates the utter failure of the defendants to deter, prevent, and halt unlawful entry into the United States. So the judge is saying, look, you're not doing your job, and Congress is trying to put things together, and that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So I want to get to the bottom of that, and I want to bring in one of the experts. R.J. Haman is uh, an expert on this. He's from Heritage, and I want to um, get into this with him. R.J., welcome, sir. Rich, thanks for having me on. You bet. So first, I want to get your reaction to this court case where the judge says, you know, one thing but does another. Um, What do you think the um, what's your take on what's going on with the razor wire at Eagle Pass? Well, again, I mean, Texas is trying Texas is where I am right now. And Texas is trying to do all they can to step in and, and stop the Biden administration opening up the border. That's harming their state really more than any other. And and Ken Paxton should obviously be praised for leading the charge with other state attorney generals on going after the Biden administration. But when it really comes down to it, unless the federal government changes course or Congress forces them to, nothing really matters. Again, Governor Abbott's doing all he can. So is Paxton. But when you're putting the security of our country and enforcement of immigration laws, securing our border in the hands of activist judges at times, we know what the end result's going to be. And I'm, I want to tell you about a little something on the, the activist judge front, uh, some crazy yeah. news that uh, dropped today on that front. So there was actually an activist judge. He's in his 90s out in California. And he ordered at, at behest of the ACLU, ACLU in a lawsuit they filed, he ordered an ICE detention facility in California to be closed. Well, it's remained closed for several years. It has 2,000 detention beds. ICE has wow. refused to work with the Department of Justice to appeal it. And now what they're announcing tomorrow is that they're going to close it. So as the Biden administration is up there on Capitol Hill lying, saying, hey, we need more resources, we need more detention beds. Well, you've kept a detention facility in California empty for two years. That's 2,000 beds that could be used to keep criminal aliens off the street. You're not even appealing that radical court ruling. Now you want to close it. Again, this is all open borders by design. Anything the Biden administration wants from those in Congress is to enhance and accelerate the processing of migrants and ramp up a scale of a historic self-inflicted border crisis. That is insane that there's a facility that can hold 2,000 people and they're just leaving it closed because they they don't want it closed? Like it's the well, abolished ice crowd or... I don't get it. Well, get this. Well, get this. This is even more insane. There is a federal Bureau of Prisons facility just several miles down the road that is fully operational. So that was reopened either by litigation or by the choice of the Biden administration that that's open. So you have a federal Bureau of Prisons. But when you come to a federal immigration law detention facility, whoa, we can't reopen that. Let's just let this hold stay there. And again, now what they're going to announce tomorrow, which just covered today, they're going to announce full closure of this facility. I mean, the border is getting all the attention, of course, but interior enforcement is huge. Once that person at the, at the border is either caught and released or processed into the country, again, all by design, they're in the hands of ICE. And they're in the hands of ICE for five, six, seven years on the non-detained docket at times. These backlogs are so long. And again, you even have criminal aliens, about 500,000, 600,000 that are roaming American communities, you know, millions overall, ICE can't remove them. The Biden administration doesn't want ICE to remove them. Again, it's all by design, and it's a concerted effort, both down at the border and in every American community. You know, um, R.J. Haman, uh, this is, uh, it's just, in my opinion, it's, it's crazy what's going on. 
And the, the only explanation is that the Biden administration is complicit in the human smuggling in whatever it is that's happening at that border. There's a, a reason that they want so many people coming right into the country. Um, what's your, your take being that uh, you're down there? Yeah, you know, I think you know, I split time up in Washington as well, and I'm engaged on Capitol Hill. It's just it, it's fascinating to see the difference in how the American people are really interpreting this. But, you no, know, to go back and start at the root cause, it's actually interesting. I was watching, you know, uh, Governor DeSantis uh, debating Governor Newsom, and, and <laughs> I, I, Governor Newsom brought up a, a just an absurd point. And when we were talking about, again, the Biden administration triggering starting this crisis, he goes, on day one, you know, the Biden administration put out their comprehensive immigration reform plan acting like they had the solution, Republicans rejected it, and that's why we have a border crisis. Well, that's wrong, because their comprehensive border solution plan is just amnesty for every illegal alien in the country. But what they really did on day one is pretty much rescinded every single effective Trump administration executive order or policy that kept our nation secure. And again, look at the end result. I mean, they're out there acting like, oh, there's nothing we could have done. By rescinding every effective thing in place, this is what started. And again, the scale is ramped up every time. I mean, we're at over 8 million illegal crossings since he took office, about 1.7 million known gotaways. And again, that's a number that's important to get out there. But what about the gotaways that are unknown? I mean, about 900,000 thus far have been released into American communities. You got all the terrorist watch list encounters. Again, it's just, you know, I feel like a broken record, Rich. I've been doing this for a while. It's, you know, really, when will Congress wake up? And again, what they're doing right now on Capitol Hill, they're not going down the proper path. And I say that about Republicans and Democrats. You still have a bunch of Republicans that feel, hey, we just need to move towards the middle a little bit to these Democrats and we'll get them in our corner. No, Democrats, they all want amnesty. They want to keep the crisis going. This is all by design. Republicans need to hold firm, unite behind H.R. 2, that House passed historic border security proposal. You need to change the policy. Again, you can't just write a check or think Democrats are going to come to the table. Force the Biden administration into a corner to implement what is actually required and needed to end this crisis. Well, and that's exactly what I want to talk about when we come back from the break. I want to go over H.R. 2 and uh, just, you know, line by line, uh, to, to really help everybody understand and how they can motivate uh, the people in their districts to uh, kind of um, make a move on this. Because while the House has done what they've had to do, um, we, we still haven't gotten anywhere um, with with the rest of this. And I think it's important that we move this thing along as best we can. So, folks, we're on with R.J. Hammond from Heritage. We're going to continue our discussion on our broken border and the disaster and um just largest human trafficking fiasco we've ever seen led by Joe El Baboso Biden. And we're going to do that straight ahead. Plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. For Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. We continue our discussion with R.J. Hammond from Heritage discussing the, the broken border, the disaster that Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, and, and the rest of the radical progressive left-wing crazies that are in our government are, are allowing to occur and, and kind of exacerbating through their policies. Uh, R.J. Hammond, let's talk about H.R. 2 and how we, um, we move the needle on this. Yeah, again, you know, H.R. 2 was it's probably, I think, the most historic piece of immigration legislation that has ever passed um, in a positive light. Again, it's, it's absolutely critical. And here's why. Again, you have some folks in the Senate that are trying to go down a path, I'd say, that's more narrow in scope or even acting like there are some funding mechanisms that can be used to, to secure the border. But it's just not true. I mean, right. H.R. 2 is the only way to address the border crisis effectively. And, and let me tell you why. I mean, again, it would close the loopholes that are, that are really being used to, for asylum fraud. It would end kind of the new capture or welcome and release, as we call it, would stop the use of, of mass parole, again, which Mayorkas is using as an, an end around you know, congressionally mandated visa caps. I call it a legal entry under the guise of legality. And of course, he's doing it all through a handy cell phone app, CBP-1, that used to be used for cargo inspections and things like that. So again, even hijacking a program that was used for for legal trade and and by, you know, Americans and other companies. And it would also expand uh, penalties for those who overstay their visa. Remember, people that are Sometimes now here illegally didn't simply cross the border illegally uh, down south, but they overstayed a visa. And, and that's something that we need to keep in place in terms of the integrity of our legal immigration system. Again, it would uh, you know reduce incentives for illegal immigration by mandating nationwide E-Verify. Again, we need a legal workforce. When you turn off the jobs magnet, illegal aliens won't come. It would also... I think it would, you know, close some uh, loopholes in, in the processing of, of unaccompanied alien children. And again, we're seeing that so much. Again, families, you know, can't be really detained together. And you have, you know, you want to when you want to come into the country, you want to come in swiftly. Again, you come as a family unit. And we're also seeing a lot of people sending up their children with dangerous smugglers and traffickers up here. And, you know, the Biden administration, all their solutions for unaccompanied alien children is almost to make the trip more enticing by giving them more NGO assistance, easy placement with sponsors once they get here. But they forget about that treacherous journey coming up here. Not only are you lining the pockets of smugglers, traffickers, and cartels, you're putting young children in danger. That must stop. And then lastly, kind of more in the the operational space, it would resume construction of the border wall and provide more essential support uh, for CBP personnel and, and and I think this is one of the biggest things kind of in the funding space. It would stop the Biden administration's reliance on these corrupt left-wing NGOs that exist to process and transport illegal aliens in the American communities. Again, so many companies, so many C3s are out there getting their pockets lined by our border being overrun. That must be nipped in the bud. Let's talk a little bit about that because I've talked about that once before and I, and I found it a fascinating topic. Because I don't know that everybody knows that these, you know, um, well-intentioned, um, innocuous-sounding charities, even Catholic charities, um, are involved in the trafficking of people from one part of the country to another on the government's dime, which, i.e., is taxpayer-funded. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Oh, we could go on and on about what's <laughs> happening in that NGO space. I mean, you're tra- it's, it's, you do your best to try to trace the dollars 
you know, that we give through appropriations bills uh, here domestically. But a lot of the money that's transferred out of the country and pumped into the U.N. and IOM that's given to foreign entities, those same foreign entities are going down to the Darien Gap and and uh, I guess the track to come up here to the United States and handing out, you know, cell phones, uh, uh, almost uh, cash debit cards, maps and things like that. But when it comes to what's happening in the country, I'm going to point out kind of an absurd program, that, again, that the Biden administration is trying to ramp up with their $14 billion supplemental uh, funding requests that, again, lines the pockets of the, the NGOs. You have a program called SSP that is administered by FEMA. OK, so Federal Emergency Management Agency is being tasked by DHS to dole out all this money to these prominent left-wing charities to process, release, and, and provide social services to illegal aliens. I mean, it, how ridiculous is that when you have, you remember the fire, obviously, in Florida, and, and you know, you have a hurricane season uh, that arises. Well, well, why is FEMA money, again, going to the process of illegal aliens? And then in the ICE space, I'll give you another example of an absurd one, Church World Service, a very big corrupt NGO. They are overseeing a pilot program within ICE that doles out social services to folks that are getting their case management, the case managed. And you know what's funny about that? CWS and a couple other groups on that board called for the abolishing of ICE. So ICE is tasking NGOs who want to abolish the agency's existence with administering a pilot program. And Congress doesn't do anything. They just give them more money. I mean, it could go on and on. It's as corrupt as it gets. And it's why the Democratic Party is so in line with all these radical groups. R.J. Hammond, let everybody know um, how they could keep up to speed with all of the work that you're doing and how they could follow you. Of course. No, I'm a visiting advisor of the Heritage Foundation. That's heritage.org. And I'm also president of a relatively new group called the National Immigration Center for Enforcement, also known as NICE. That is, again, assisting ICE agents. Get that word out there and remind the American people how important our laws being enforced in the interior of the country is. It's border security and interior enforcement. That's how you keep our nation safe and end this historic crisis. And how do people find you at NICE or on social media? Yeah, that's it's NICE Enforcement with one E.org. And on social media, it's NICE Enforcement with one E. And uh, I can be followed at RJ Hammon at RJ Hammon on Twitter, or X as they call it now. Right. All right. RJ Hammon, uh, keep up the great work. President at NICE and visiting advisor at Heritage. I want to thank you for being here. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. And uh, Godspeed to you. We, we need more workers like you out there. As are you, Rich. Thank you so much. All right, brother. And, folks, we continue. We're going to continue our conversation. Of course, I want to just give you a quick update on DeSantis versus Newsom as they face off on everything from immigration to abortion, transgenderism, wokeness, and more. And uh, these guys have been going at it uh, with um, Newsom asking um, DeSantis, saying, look, my question, very specific, do you support any restrictions on abortion? And 789, and uh, obviously um, Newsom uh, turns the question to DeSantis and saying, look, this guy signed the most extreme anti-abortion bills in America. I think that was like a badge of honor for DeSantis when he said that. Anyway, we continue straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back. We're only halfway through. I'm with you till 1 a.m.
Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, folks, the uh, debate between DeSantis and Newsom rages on, and uh, I, I will, we'll cover some of that a little bit later. We'll grab a couple of clips for uh, hour number three. And I want to talk about something that I think doesn't get very uh, much attention or doesn't get as much attention as it should. Uh, recently, 90 hours of video was released, or really 40,000 hours, but the first 90 were made publicly available right away of the January 6th um, riot at the Capitol. And this tends to show a very different story than uh, the the narrative that we were fed that, you know, that one video, that one scene or people climbing up the side of the building, not saying that didn't happen. I'm just saying it wasn't the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that were in DC, um, at that moment, uh, they weren't all there, right? It it was a, a way smaller number. And, and those that are there, the way they're being treated, the way they're being housed, um, you know, we, we had some uh, very intrepid reporters like Julie Kelly and others that came on this program and kind of gave us a description. Um, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene recently told us that uh, she, when she went there in person, it was it was very, very troubling. Uh, but other than these every now and again isolated incidents, we don't really see the 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 legacy media really reporting on it. So it's uh, it's tough to get a pulse. Uh, but I want to um, bring Tim Rivers into the conversation. Uh, he's the co-founder of J6 Patriot News. He's a retired uh, engineer working on information technology and a Fortune 100 executive. And uh, he's with us now. Tim, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be on tonight. Thanks for having us. You bet. Now, you know, recently uh, President Trump was discussing how there were some undercover agents that were responsible for not stopping the January 6th protesters and when it got out of hand. And uh, you've got a book that covers this very topic Uh, The American Gulag Chronicles, Letters from Prison. And it's a collection of letters from January 6th defendants describing the horrible uh, conditions of their confinement. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, A, what you think about President Trump's uh, comments about the undercover agents. And uh, we'll have plenty of time as well to get into the the actual stories from the book. Yeah, you know... what he's saying kind of correlates a lot with what you hear many of these folks saying in their interviews um, at our website, j6patriotnews.com, and also in many of their letters. That some of these folks were special forces, police officers, law enforcement, and they recognize the type of individuals in the crowd, the type of behaviors um, that, these, that somebody in law enforcement or undercover might perhaps uh, display. And many of them saw them doing things that just were seen completely out of whack. And so I think that puts a lot of credence to what he said. Um, and we have to look for correlations here. We've been lied to so much in the last two and a half to three years that um, I, I think many of us have begun to wonder, you know, how what is truth anymore when you hear it on, on radio or on TV, uh, whether the sources is mainstream media or even some conservative sites. And so best to get it from the horse's mouth, the people who were there that day, the people who experienced it, the people who will tell you exactly why they went and what happened. 
And that has not happened, which is why the book was necessary. Um, and, and I do believe that President Trump is on the money there. And you will hear more and more, um, even though these new videos appear to already have been, uh, how shall we say, doctored. Right. And uh, folks, we are on with uh, Tim Rivers. He's co-founder of J6 Patriot News. And uh, he's got the brand new book, the American Gulag Chronicles, Letters from Prison. And it's a collection of letters from uh, January 6th defendants. And if you guys have a question or you want to comment on January 6th or the border or crime or even the the topic from earlier today where we talked with James O'Keefe about the, the federal air marshals now following January 6th people around the country with a special designation on their uh, boarding pass for domestic travel, uh, feel free to give us a call. The number, of course, is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, we're going to work on getting a better line for Tim Rivers. I know it's very tough for you guys to hear him out in Radioland. Uh, but we are coming right back. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, familia. We are on with Tim Rivers. He's the author of the book, The American Gulag Chronicles Letters from Prison. And it's a collection of letters from January 6th defendants describing the horrible conditions of their confinement. And, uh, Tim, what's, uh, I guess, uh, I know I could figure out why you wrote the book. It's an important topic, and there's a lot of horrible stories to discuss. But um, what's the story that I guess most sticks out for you that's in your new book? It's it's the it's actually the first letter that I ever received from a January sixer when I uh, got involved in this through election integrity, like so many other people um, in this fight. <clears throat> Once I kind of got the rhythm of how badly things had gone on 2020, then uh, the people who were standing out on January 6th were clearly victims. And so like a lot of people, I went to PatriotMailProject.com and just randomly picked out uh, one of these prisoners and wrote to them. And the letter I got back was from an American war hero, um, a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey McKellar, a 22-year uh, Ranger and Green Beret, actually became a Ranger did his term, went out, went back into the military, became a Green Beret, became a Green Beret instructor, worked on five continents, and 10 years for State Department as a protector uh, for private, uh, private protection for you know, political folks who were moving in places they shouldn't be. And never been arrested in his life, got two beautiful children, really super guy, an American hero, three times decorated. Um, and he sits in a prison right now in Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, two and a half years without trial. His first letter to me back in 2021 is what 
really just first it inflamed me. I just wanted to break things to think that um, somebody like him had been treated this way. But then as the story began to develop and we began to, to communicate constantly, in fact, I, I hope to write his biography soon uh, once his trial is completed, if he ever gets to trial. The, the story of his persecution because of who he is and because of what he's been and, and how the courts and the judges treated him, it, it just really it, it alerted me that something very bad was happening in America. It was time to quit playing golf and playing around in the garden and try and do something meaningful for this country before it, it basically disintegrated for my children and grandchildren. And that's how I got into it. And um, I, I kind of, I, I think everybody has that inside of them waiting to be awakened, that patriot gene. It just needs something to, you know, to, to basically bring it forth, to, uh, to make it be expressed in your life. And that's what it did for me. Um, I let you read that letter. That's one of the first 14 pages in the book. If you go to letters from prison, Dot us you can look at the first portions of the book through a little flip book and you can see Jeff's letter and read his words and uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll kick off that patriot gene in you let me ask you uh tim because i think this is a remarkable story you're saying this guy is being held in texas for a crime committed in washington or allegedly committed in, in washington uh without any trial he hasn't seen a judge and he's been there for two and a half years why aren't they holding him in dc well, they did. They held him in D.C. for two years. And then his attorney, uh, basically, when his attorney was fired for not doing anything and taking all the money, um, he went after being dismissed, went to the judge and told the judge he suspected that uh, this individual was suffering from, you know, PTSD, wasn't making good decisions because obviously he fired me uh, and had the judge send him to a facility in Texas where he could be evaluated. And he's been there since March. And I will tell you right now, this guy is so sharp, you'll cut yourself talking to him. Um, and yet here he is at the hands of the government, silence placed in an environment that you and I would never want to be in, where people are doing just absolutely in, in, in unspeakable things in the hallways and everything. And, and yet here is this American war hero uh, sitting here two and a half years, no trial, uh, and still without any attorney to really stand for him. And that's that's something that one day you'll do a show on, the fact that we don't have conservative attorneys in this country anymore. Eighty to 90 percent of them believe in the in the regimes of the left. And so who are you as a conservative to seek justice here anymore? That's a, that's yeah. another story right there. Yeah, you know, I talk about that a lot, not specifically that, but I always say if, if we don't become the media, if we don't become the attorneys, if we don't become the politicians, if we don't become the people that are controlling everything that's going on, uh, we're going to lose. And, and that's just the bottom line. Folks, we're on with Tim Rivers. He's a co-founder of J6 Patriot News, and he's got a brand new book called The American Gulag Chronicles, Letters from Prison. And it's a collection of letters from January 6th defendants uh, discussing their stories. And uh, the, the story you just mentioned is really just a remarkable one. Uh Tim, stick with us. I want to um, get a, a gist of the rest of the book and give everybody an opportunity to hear how they can get it when we come back before we wrap up. Folks, we're on with Tim Rivers, again, author of the American Gulag Chronicles, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 5337 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. 
Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our conversation with Tim Rivers. He's the author of the book, The Gulag Chronicles, Letters from Prison. And uh, Tim Rivers, I want you to give everybody just a, you know, you mentioned the the, the first uh, 14 pages, but um, give everybody a sense of what the rest of the book is like and um, obviously why they should get it. Well, you know, you know what a chronicle is, right? It's a tale. It's a tale in time. It's telling a story from beginning to end. And that's what this first book does, which, by the way, came out last year in November. Um, it, it tells a story of September from 2021 through September of 2022 in the lives of 35 of these men and women uh, through their letters, through their art, through their pictures. You won't believe the art that comes out of here, the stories, the poems, um, the background, the testimonies of that day and what's happening to them now, all in their letters. You'll see the letters. You'll see the transcripts so it's easier to read. You'll be exposed to the art and to their, their soul that they're pouring out um, through all of this. You know, there's so many times and so many examples through time where, uh, where isolation, where either in the desert or in a cell, produces this form of genius where uh, instead of crushing somebody into dust, you create a diamond. And that's what's been happening to these guys in that first book. And now the second book comes out. It's already available for pre-order at lettersforprison.us. It's called Art of Confinement. And it takes you through the next year in these men's lives and women's lives where you begin to experience the courts, the, the extreme sentencing, uh, sending them into the Bureau of Prison Environments, which is so dangerous and so fraught with uh, crime and even murder and death. Um, you'll hear these stories firsthand, and again, they over and over and over again, their messages not only are about the gratitude for the people who write them, but the message that they're trying to send to America that if you don't do something soon, you're next. Um, I got these letters, and initially they were coming mm -hmm. to Mr. Rivers, Dear Tim. Now they come to Dear America, Dear Patriot Family, Dear American Family. It's not my mail anymore. It's America's, and they need to read it. Tim Rivers, let everybody know where they can get a copy of the book. Please visit, very simple, lettersfromprison.us. You can order that book. You can order a pre-order of the companion book, or you can get a, a book set of both of them for a reduced price. And all of the money from this goes 100% to a nonprofit that takes care of these men and women's families and themselves, gets them to court, uh, pays for their living expenses when they're being stuck in D.C. to go through this meat grinder. So every penny that you spend, not only will you get a, an amazing piece of history, but you'll be helping these people get through this pogrom. Well, uh, Tim Rivers, I want to thank you for joining us. It's um, it's a remarkable uh, work to, to stay committed to something like this where you don't get as uh, much of attention as you do on so many other topics. And Godspeed to you, sir. Keep up the great work. Thanks for having me on. And remember, America, don't do nothing. You got it. All right, folks, we continue with um, our conversation. And, of course, I want to invite you to call the program. Uh, if you've never called the program before, uh, first-time callers, we do move you to the front of the list. Uh, Open Phone America is quickly approaching, and I want to invite you to do that. The phone number, of course, is 833-4-VALDEZ, 
for Valdez. And if you disagree with me, you're tied with the first-time callers. I'll even put you in front of them just to, to have that discussion. And, uh, of course, all of our regular callers, you're, you're all welcome to call from one coast to the other. And uh, some of the things we're going to talk about tonight are a recap of what we've been discussing so far this evening. And we're also going to you know, bring in some new topics. One of the things that um, we talked about earlier, I want to kind of revisit a little later, um, I might have alluded to it a little while ago with uh, Mayor Eric Adams, right? Uh, Eric Adams is a, uh, an absolute disaster in New York City, in my opinion. And here he is, um, of course, now he's, he's fearful that he might get indicted. So uh, we'll hear a little bit from him uh, after the top of the hour. And George Santos, Congressman George Santos, he uh, refuses to resign and says he'll accept the outcome of uh, the vote tomorrow to um, um, expel him from Congress. Um, I'm guessing if they have a vote that they'll probably get the votes they need only because, you know, I, I mean, if I were a Democrat, I would not vote to expel George Santos. Um, if I were a Republican, I would not vote to expel George Santos, uh, because you don't want to use the expulsion, um, card so easily, right? I think the people should be allowed to decide. He got in, he did his thing, they get to decide and they throw him out, right? Um, I put myself in his shoes and I think, you know, if this were happening to me, I wouldn't want, uh, to, to be expelled from Congress. I would want to finish my term and uh, have an opportunity to defend myself. You know, this is exactly what they tried to do to Trump. When they said, you did this, you did that, you did the other, we're going to impeach you. And luckily they weren't able to, you know, get him uh, convicted and throw him out of office. But uh, Santos isn't running for any re-election, so obviously they're not going to vote for him again. And he he's out of the picture. So, you know, what's the, what's the point? Uh, I, I know the point. The point is that Republicans will get to pick the person that they want to put in there and they will um, have a leg up. And listen, politically, I think that makes some sense. But um, again, if it were me, I wouldn't do it. I would just say, you know, let's let nature uh, take its course here. And uh, it is what it is, right? Because ultimately, the, the, it's the people that get to decide this, right? It's, it's not um, his colleagues. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that that wouldn't want to um, to set that precedent. Um, Santos hasn't been convicted of anything, as far as I know. So just imagine expelling someone from Congress without any 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 guilty verdict. I mean, I think that's crazy. Let this guy have his day in court. Let him do what he. Has. It's not a defense of Santos. Really, a defense of due process. I mean, I thought we had a a Sixth Amendment here. Seems It just seems so off to me, right? It's a political scalp for what reason? Just for a handful of Republicans in New York to make a play to put somebody in so they have a little head start on getting that person reelected? I don't know. Anyway, I'll take your calls on that and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. Open Phone America is coming up right now. I'm Rich Valdez. the city that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And welcome to hour number three of the program. Happy to um, be here tonight. It's Thursday night. You get to call in 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And um, a bunch of things I want to talk about. One of the things I want to talk about tonight was New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Uh, because this this is an interesting one. Typically, when you run for mayor of New York City, you get donations from, you know, maybe Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, um, maybe Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> Erdogan world. Yeah. Well, Turkey is donating to Eric Adams. And I think those are the same people as a Turkey or Egypt that was do- donating to Gold Bar Bob. Right. Gold bar, Bob. So uh, it's interesting to see who's interested in the politicians here in the United States. But I want you to listen to Mayor Eric Adams uh, discussing this uh, trip to Turkey that was left out of his financial disclosures. Check it out. My first actual trip, uh, for those who was here, that was the first governmental trip. But the first trip that I went on was a personal trip. Uh, It was I, I actually joked about it. It was on Thanksgiving. Uh, of that year, it was a three-day, I think, a three-day trip. Um, and we would look at our Senate records. Um, there was a trip that we went with the state Senate. Uh, Senator uh, Simbowitz was on the trip with me. Uh, uh, Assembly, Assemblyman Simbowitz was on the trip. Assemblyman Burkowski also joined us on the trip. But um, uh, I'll look at the record. If it wasn't, it was an oversight, and we'll find out how we can modify it if that was the case. Okay, so uh, I heard a whole lot of nothing there, but what I heard was uh, we went on a trip, we went on a personal trip, I went with a bunch of senators on a personal trip, it was a governmental trip, but it was a personal trip, and uh, the senators were there. (laughs) Huh? Why do you say it? Well, here's what's going on, because he's nervous, he's nervous, he's hot under the collar, elite Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, he's afraid he's going to be indicted for campaign violations over donations from Turkey which could lead to a chaotic 60-day open election for a New York City mayor if he steps down. The FBI is investigating donations from Turkish individuals and organizations uh, back in 2021. His aide, Brianna Suggs, has her own lawyer. She's uh, foregoing City Hall's team of lawyers. Now, I wonder why she would do that. Is she singing like a bird? I'm not saying that she is. I'm just asking the questions. Now, City Hall has denied that Adams has in any way uh, been concerned about an indictment. Uh, sources close to the mayor say it's a stunt by his political enemies. Well, these things often are. You know, it was a stunt to get rid of President Trump. They did a whole thing called Russiagate. And that's just how, how politics works. It's very dirty sometimes. Uh, now, Adams is said to have expressed his fears this week to people close to him as the FBI investigation into his campaign finances is gathering steam. And after his former top fundraiser, Brianna Suggs, got her own lawyer. So now they're like, hmm, what's going on here? Is there uh, trouble in the camp in Eric Adams land? We'll find out. Uh, Now, between 2018 and 2021, the Adams campaign accepted $18,000 in cash 
from Turkish individuals and organizations. He returned $5,000 to fall in line with donation limits. So they gave him more than he was allowed to have, so he gave some back. Now the FBI is investigating whether uh, those donations breached any campaign laws that prohibit contributions from foreign governments or individuals working on their behalf. Now what's interesting about this is that this is like the same story that they uh, they put on El Trumpito, right? Oh, that you violated campaign finance, you did this. I mean, here there's actual cash and there's actual you know money from a foreign country. They said Russia, uh, Russia collusion, Russia collusion, and there was never any uh, Russian collusion. There was no money from Trump. Uh, there was no money to Trump. They said that he uh, did a campaign violation because of the whole Stormy Daniels thing. Again, another fabrication. Uh, th- none of these things happened. This stuff that we're talking about actually happened. Adams got the money and gave some of it back. So this is interesting. Now, if an indictment is filed, this is a big deal. Um, Adams will either be forced to battle through the whole thing with a legal fight while he's in office, or he'll have to step down. Now, if if he um, steps down, that could lead to a 60-day open election to find a replacement with no clear front runners. You know what that means? That means a Republican might win. That's great. Uh, that's how my buddy Brett Schundler won in Jersey City back in the uh, 90s. He ran for mayor in a very crowded field. There was very few um, Republicans in the race. And eventually he did a great job campaigning. And boom, he became uh, mayor and got reelected and did a great job in Jersey City. And uh, that might be the in for a Republican. I know one guy that's uh, very intent on running for governor, Curtis Slewa. I'm hoping that Curtis Slewa will definitely uh, capitalize on this. And um, the fundraiser for uh, Eric Adams, Mayor Adams, um, her name's Suggs. She's been represented by Wilmer Hale. That's a a law firm that currently represents Adams and his campaign. But this week, she uh, dropped them and is now being represented by Rebecca Rosigliano, a former federal prosecutor who previously worked for the Southern District of New York and now works for white-collar crime firm uh, Crowell & Mooring. So in a statement this week, uh, Rosigliano said that they were cooperating with the government's investigation. Oh, so look at that. So if Resigliano is representing Miss Suggs and Miss Suggs says she's cooperating, does that make her a stoolie? Does that make her a uh, rata? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, it seems like she hasn't jumped on with Team Adams and she kind of jumped off the Team Adams uh, gravy train there. So we'll see. Now, uh, City Hall today denied that Eric Adams had any concern about these charges saying, stop spreading lies, especially from people who have no involvement in the matter, a spokesman told the DailyMail.com, directing his comments towards the sources who uh, indicated that Adams was concerned to begin with. A source close to the campaign has also denied that he was worried, citing uh, the fact that investigations are yet to make any, any allegations against him, and uh, he's, not, he's not nervous. They said this is nothing more than a political stunt from an opponent of the mayor trying to stir things up. Now, according to campaign finance records, Team Adams took $6,000 from three United States citizens who sit on the board of the Turkin Foundation, uh, which is a Turkish organization, 
between 2018 and 2021, and the campaign returned $1,000, which exceeded the limit for individual donations. So that's where we're at with that. Now, listen, uh, this is an interesting thing, but th- this this Turkin Foundation has um, it has some ties to Erdogan, right? Because uh, the Turkin Foundation uh, builds housing for Muslim students in the United States, and it was founded by the son of Tayyip Erdogan, the president of Turkey. He's the founder. So Turkish politicians in the past have questioned whether the Erdogan family was using the foundation to stash money overseas. Now, the Adams campaign had to give back more than eight grand of those contributions due to uh, campaign contribution limits. If Adams steps down in the face of an indictment, this uh, would trigger that 60-day open election that they keep talking about. And if Adams resigns, his immediate responsibilities would fall to the public advocate, Jumani Williams. He might, in fact, be worse than Adams, kind of like uh, this guy, um, Brendan Johnson, who's, um, I would say, to the left of Beetlejuice in Chicago. So we uh, will see how this whole thing plays out. Um, Former Governor Andrew Cuomo, who left his role as governor because of a sexual harassment scandal, um, he's talking about possibly uh, jumping in the ring as New York City mayor. The Adams team has also been cooperating with the FBI. And they're saying that, you know, whatever they got to do, they're going to do. And uh, FBI agents have raided the home of Brianna Suggs earlier this month. The agent sees multiple phones, laptops and paperwork from her Brooklyn home. So, hmm, maybe that's why she flipped. Maybe they got some dirt on her and they're like, just give us the mayor. That's all we want, lady. I don't know. This stuff seems to be getting hot. We'll see how it goes. I'm not saying nothing until it goes down because, you know, they've tried to do this to Trump a million times and it was it was always hogwash. But uh, this one, I mean, did they say, Trump, we, we think you're colluding with Russia. Oh, what's this? And then you see Trump going, well, the first time I went to Russia, wait, that was a government trip. No, no, that was a personal trip. It was Thanksgiving, actually. And uh, no, and then we would. De- no, there's nothing like that, right? Trump was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Thank you very much. Take care. And that was it. That was it. Now, this guy's been to Turkey. He's got ties with Erdogan's son and the Turkin Foundation. They're sending him money. This, there's a paper trail. And I got to tell you, you could you could throw you could throw shade at people. That's one thing, and it's another thing when there's actually smoke. Now, we don't know if the smoke always means there's fire, but we're gonna find out. Anyway, uh, give me a call if you want to chime in on this. Eight three three four Valdez is the phone number. Eight three three four Valdez or. Um, Get at me online at Rich Valdez with an S on any of the social media. Coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And the... Um Congressman George Santos, uh, he's not resigning, and he was uh, available for comment earlier today uh, on the House floor. He made some comments, and he says, look, I'm not resigning, and I'll accept the outcome of any vote that you guys have tomorrow, his colleagues that are planning on expelling him. Listen to this. I'm at peace. I have accepted that whether I get expelled or I don't, I... I have accepted that I cannot control that faith, Mr. Speaker. So that's Congressman Santos. He says he's not he's not resigning. Now, uh, will he survive this move to push him out? I don't know. I don't know if he's going to survive or not. I, I have a feeling that because of the for the sake of self-preservation, most people are going to say, you know, look, um, if somebody accused me of something and I wasn't found guilty and I'm a member of Congress, would I want them to be able to expel me just because I, there's a lot of people saying things because, um, you know, I've been caught in a lie or apparently caught in a lie? And listen, I'm not defending George Santos. I'm just saying that, you know, it's one thing to talk and it's another thing to take action. If George Santos gets found guilty of something uh, by the Department of Justice or anybody else, th- there's a legal price to pay. And obviously you can use that and, and go to expulsion or whatever else you want to do. But while that stuff is up in the air, I just don't know. It seems to me like you do it now and now there's a precedent for it and they will go right ahead and, and want to do that every time they don't like somebody. And they'll be, you know, just come up with some phony charges. And be, oh, this guy's guilty of sin and we're just going to get rid of him. Um, and uh, he's already survived two efforts for them to push him out in the last several weeks. This third one might be the one that gets him out. Uh, the House is going to be voting on that on Friday. And they're going to talk about the alleged misdeeds, the campaign finance abuses, uh, the fake life story that he gave and lying his way into the House of Representatives. Uh, again, I think this would be uh, more appropriate once he's convicted of some sort of crime and they can say, hey, look, this is what we found and you're out of here. And then that makes a lot of sense. Anyway, um, Article 1, Section 5 of the Constitution, it grants every body of Congress the authority to have the ultimate authority of who gets sworn in and determine its own rules of proceedings. So they can issue uh, discipline and the um, when there is the actual meeting of the minds of two-thirds, they can expel a member. Will they get two-thirds to expel George Santos? Again, if you're a Democrat and you want to run in that district, do you expel George Santos? I wouldn't. I'd leave him in office. That's the best way to go. You know, your congressman is a fraud. Your congressman is a fake. He's a phony. He's a this. Republicans are liars. And that's why you got to elect me. I'm a Democrat, right? It would, it would be the best thing in the world. So I just don't see every Democrat jumping on board on this. 
to me, the only advantage here is to Republicans, in particular Republicans in New York, but overall for the conference, so that they can have somebody more reliable, perhaps more malleable, who knows, but somebody who isn't Santos, and they can control that if, if he's out of there. If there's a, an actual election, then this person has to get elected and can't be appointed. So I think that's where this really falls down. But uh, Santos says that he definitely, definitely, definitely was there to represent his constituents. Cut 26. Listen to this. I have done the best I can to serve in this body and to deliver the best I can in my campaign promises to vote as a conservative voice in this body. I stand by that. So Santos says he's a conservative. He's done his job to stand here um, and represent his constituents. Um, I think George Santos is a nice guy. And uh, I don't personally, um, you know, um, I don't know. I have no knowledge of all of these crazy things that that he's accused of doing. Um, It seems to me like they've caught him, you know, with his hand in the cookie jar. Uh, But I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt until they're... um, until they're guilty of sin. Uh, even Joel Baboso Biden, right? I think there should be an impeachment inquiry. I think that, you know, it's, it, there should be an impeachment per se um, because there's an investigation in Congress. Uh, you can't indict a sitting president. So I think that's a different story. Uh, but again, giving him the benefit of the doubt as we see what comes through Comer's office, why not? Let's see what we've got. And lamentably, as that stuff comes in, he looks guilty of sin. And if the court is not the court of law, but the court of public opinion, and that's, in effect, what Congress is uh, adjudicating in a impeachment trial, uh, it's you and me watching this stuff on C-SPAN and watching it on the news, then I'm likely going to vote for that impeachment for Biden because as much as I want to believe that he doesn't know what's going on, he's not the big guy and that Hunter isn't the bag man, I think that's exactly what's going on. Anyway, we're coming back with your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. joined at the hip with Biden and Harris. He thinks Biden and Harris have done a great job. He thinks the economy is working because of their policies for Americans, and they are not. And so what California represents is the Biden-Harris agenda on steroids. Uh, They would love nothing more than to get four more years uh, to be able to take the California model nationally. That would be disastrous for working people. Well, let's talk about working people. They pay more in your state than the state of California charges for billionaires and millionaires. And it's just a value proposition. It's a fact. Again, you can't make You have six or seven dollar a gallon gas. How do they they afford that? These are folks that are blue collar people. You're going to force everybody to buy an electric vehicle. How are they going to be able to afford electric? 
electric vehicles if you're working class people. And I think the thing about California, they have one of the highest inequality rates because, yeah, they've got Silicon Valley billionaires. They've got a lot of very wealthy people. They've got a lot of people that are on government assistance, but they've hollowed out their middle class. Governor DeSantis uh, versus Governor Newsom. Uh, it sounds to me like uh, Governor DeSantis is uh, definitely holding his own. Uh, Governor Newsom trying to land the glove, but it doesn't seem like he's quite getting it done. And uh, we're going to get your reactions to this and everything else we've been discussing tonight. Let's go to Boise, Idaho. Good old Idaho. Let's check in with our buddy Paul. Paul, very quickly, what would you think of the debate tonight between DeSantis and Newsom? Go right ahead. Well, I was listening to both your show and the debate, and hands down, DeSantis was laying down the facts about each state, his own and and the failures of California with gruesome Newsom. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that DeSantis won this. But in reality, what what did he really win? You know what I'm saying? Because he's not up against Newsom. He's up against Biden. Right. Well, I think the presupposition there is that you're going to have a race where Biden steps out and and Newsom becomes the person. And DeSantis is hoping that Trump will get locked up and go to jail and uh, that he'll be out. And then instead of having the two people we think are going to run, each of them could be the underdog waiting in the wings that will end up running against the other. I don't know if that happens. I'm prepared for every scenario because I've never seen anything like this. We've never seen a president this old. We've never seen uh, a a quasi-incumbent who's facing four felony counts in in four different courts. I mean, it's just so bizarre. We've never seen a vice president like Kim Malaitis. She's not even a Dan Quayle. You know, so, I mean, it's just absolutely crazy to see how many interesting variables we have. You've got people. Uh, by the way, um, I, I should probably talk about this tomorrow, but on Saturday, I'll be on John Tobacco's show, Wise Guys. And uh, there are some amazing videos of uh, like man on the street interviews where they went to the Bronx, New York, and just asked people, what do you think about Biden and the economy? What do you think about Biden and the economy? And every last person in the Bronx had nothing good to say. Uh, and the Bronx is 87% Democrat. These were all minorities that they interviewed as well. So, you know, when you see things like that happening, I've never seen that happen with a Democrat where people sour on them to the point where their their traditional base is saying, no, 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 no bueno. I don't know. But, Paul, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. We will continue uh, with the calls that we have. Let's see here. We've got calls from Michigan, from Chicago, from California. Uh, Minnesota, New Mexico, and uh, let's see, where do we go here? Let's go with um, Jim, Chicago, Illinois, WGN. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Uh, Santa Claus, I've talked to Santa Claus, and Jamal Bowman and Santos are on the naughty list. Therefore, I think (laughs) the house should clean up. The house should clean up. And if the Republicans are so true to the word as far as making right right, uh, get rid of uh, the bad and as well as um, still stay on with the uh, impeachment of Jamal Bowman with that uh, extra security footage of him taking down the fire, the, the signs that were on the doors that were bigger than his head, in fact, knocking those off the doors and pulling the fire alarm and then lying to every detective along the way saying that it was something else. So 
He that, thought it was an exit, Jim. He thought it was the exit. That's what it was. Right, right, right. Well, listen, I'm with you. Uh, but I don't think he, he should be a, a, a different story. If you want to expel Bowman, I think it's okay because he pled guilty. It's, it's, it's a matter of, of fact. It's a matter of, of record in the court that he was charged with a crime and he pled guilty to, to the crime uh, or the unlawful act. And that's that's a thing. Santos has been charged with crimes or unlawful acts, and he has not pled. Uh, he's pled not guilty and he hasn't been found guilty. So I, this is why I'm wondering, why are they bringing this now? Because no, nothing's uh, nothing's set in stone. Now, should it come back? And I think a lot of people expect it to uh, to come back as a guilty verdict and say, you know, we've got you dead to rights on this. Um, if that is, in fact, the case, then boom, you know, take care. Bye bye, George Santos. But I think doing it before then is just very premature. But either way, I thank you for your call from WGN in Chicago. Jim, I appreciate it. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. We, like I said, we got calls from uh, New Mexico, Minnesota, California, Michigan, and more coming in. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Uh, if you're on hold, stay there. We're coming right back to you. If you're trying to get in, Keep trying. We'll get to you eventually. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. There's not a scintilla of evidence that Republicans have produced to show that President Joe Biden has engaged in wrongdoing, an impeachable offense, or in any way has broken the law. Why? Because there is no evidence that exists to implicate President Joe Biden in anything nefarious. President Biden is a good man. He's a good and decent and hardworking man. And that's been his entire life in public service. That's Hakeem Jeffries, the uh, minority leader in the House of Representatives. And he heard him. You heard him. He said, listen, Joe Biden's a good man. The nefarious dealings and uh, press conferences from the Republicans saying that there there is an impeachment inquiry website. How dare you, Speaker Johnson? How dare you, Jim Jordan? How dare you, Elise Stefanik? He says, absolutely not. Joe Biden is one of the good guys. Uh, meanwhile, we've got a border that's absolutely wide open. CNN reporting on that over the weekend. You've got a crime wave that's all over the place. Uh, every big city in America is dealing with it. You can't even go to a, a, a chain pharmacy anymore without everything being locked up. You've got Eric Adams taking money from Turkey. And, uh, and we've got a war in the Middle East and a war in the Ukraine that's just raging on. And Biden's just trying to figure out how he can fund all of it. Absolute insanity. Let's go to the phones. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go uh, to uh, Don. Don is in Auburn, California on KNCO. Don, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. 
How you doing, Rich? It's good to hear from you. Likewise. Yeah, hey, I was wondering. I wanted to talk about the border and the uh, guy that was on earlier, and and how all this uh, people are getting through. Yeah. Um, it is. It's even worse than uh, what he has stated. You saw the Hamas attack in Israel and how they got through. They actually just drove right through. Um, but uh, going back to the movie Mission Impossible movie where they brought in a uh, suitcase bomb into Italy and then they discovered right. one guy. Yeah. Well, it's real. Uh, Iran has got to be making just such a device for themselves. We know the Russians had... Uh, had actually built suitcase bombs, and they had to test them, so they work. When Iran finally gets their plutonium, and they're pretty close, probably their most uh, destructive weapon will be a backpack hydrogen bomb. You see how many people are wearing backpacks around cities, they're carrying everything. Mm-hmm. There they are. And they're going to be suicide bombers. There won't even be a time delay. It'll be instantaneous. And some of these devices can come right through those very border uh, crossings that the earlier caller was talking about. Yeah. We're going to have to start putting Geiger counters on these crossings as well as every port of entry. Real Geiger counters. Uh, and have yeah, Well, I, I, don't, I wouldn't doubt that we have that already uh, because I think this is a threat that they've always uh, kind of anticipated. But again, you never know. But um, they're catching this stuff. You have uh, an IED that was found in September uh, in Texas. Uh, you have another explosive device that was found in May in Arizona. And uh, the DHS uh, secretary is constantly being grilled over this and so much more. But, yeah, you've got explosive devices that are coming across the border, uh, like I said, both in Arizona and in Texas. And uh, it's happening. And they know that it's happening. So, And they've re- reported on it. So it's... Um, you know, right now these might be rudimentary devices that are, you know, um, Mickey Mouse type of operation and some duct tape. But that doesn't mean that the stuff that you're talking about, these more sophisticated, um, enriched uh, uranium type of devices, dirty bomb, H-bomb, whatever, doesn't mean that that can't make its way into a suitcase and uh, into a city near you. And this is uh, an ongoing threat, I, I believe. I think this is something we've got to be prepared for. Uh, if I had to bet and, you know, somebody said, well, who do you want to be your commander in chief? I wouldn't be picking Joe Biden. That's for sure. Right. I'd, I'd want to pick somebody else. But this is a, definitely a legit concern that you bring up. Yeah, it, it'll be a backpack as opposed to a suitcase. How many people are carrying suitcases around nowadays? But look at how many people are wearing backpacks all over the world, everywhere. And yeah, good point, Don. I appreciate it. And a big shout out to everybody listening on KNCO out of Auburn, California. Uh, we will, uh, let's see, continue with your calls and more straight ahead. We're going to go to Michigan, Minnesota, New Mexico, and more. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
Sports America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. From day one, we have been focused relentlessly on trying to secure the release of hostages from, uh, from Gaza and from Hamas. And we have seen uh, over the last week the very positive development of hostages coming home, being reunited with their families, and that should continue today. Uh, it's also enabled uh, an increase in humanitarian assistance to go to innocent civilians in Gaza who need it uh, desperately. So this process is producing results, it's important, and we hope that it can continue. Um, at the same time, I look forward to detailed conversations with the government of uh, Israel um, about uh, the way ahead in Gaza. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is with uh, Israeli President Herzog in Tel Aviv today. And that was what he had to say, that the truth, uh, the truth, the truce in Gaza, the ceasefire is producing results and they hope that it can continue. And I, I want to uh, get your thoughts on that and more. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Kim. She's in Shields, Michigan, listening on WILS tonight. Go right ahead. Thanks, Rich. Uh I think I like their other idea. Uh, they came up with an idea that um, that Hamas would should release ten. I think it was ten or twenty a day minimum, and then they would continue the ceasefire. I like that because then there's an end in sight. I don't like this dribs and drabs. One, two, five. You know, it'll never get done. Um, there and they've got their momentum, but. What I called about, Rich, is um, the Palestinians are at it again, They 500 of them, with their heads all wound up like mummies so they couldn't be identified, uh, had committed a riot at the New York City Christmas tree and ice skating rink there. And they're just such a nasty, evil people. And no wonder nobody in the world wants to take them. Well, I wouldn't say the Palestinians in general. I'd say these particular protesters are. And it was, I believe, it was the Fox News Christmas tree that's uh, adjacent to the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. But I saw the video you're talking about. And it was was, uh, ugly stuff. You had people burning... um, in, in effigy, like NYPD police hats, setting them on fire, causing all sorts of um, issues uh, and uh, just a lot of uh, chaotic scenarios. And uh, yeah, you're right. These these um, in terms of their behavior, the, these radical protesters that are pro, uh, it seems like they're pro Hamas. They've got their face wrapped up. You can't tell who's who. It reminds me of Antifa. It reminds me of Black Lives Matter. It reminds me of all, all of these professional protesters that are probably the same people, in my opinion, that they just go and they they start trouble. They're rabble-rousers. And uh, I wish I could believe that so many of these causes are really so well attended uh, by these people. Like It's not like a Trump rally. You go and you got 15,000 people in the stadium. You get these things, you get a couple of 50 or 100 people that show up, and half of them are hiding their faces. Imagine if people showed up to like a Trump rally hiding their faces. People would say, oh, they're fake, they're not real. Even when you could see them, the people say, oh, they're actors, they're paid, they're whatever. So um, I don't know. I think, um, you know, a couple of bad apples don't spoil the bunch for the Palestinians. But these in particular, these guys, um, they're just a bunch of idiots. Thank you, Kim, for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in your neck of the woods. Let's continue. 
Uh, I want to go to, um, let's see, Debbie. Debbie's in uh, Winona, Minnesota. K-W-N-O. Debbie, go right ahead. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Yeah, about the, the people that are um, uh, uh, raiding these stores and stealing and getting get more, more and more uh, yeah. rapid and bad. You know, I think they're they're acting like children, like little kids. You know, if they if don't get attention the first time, they're going to do it worse the next time, and then get worse and worse until they get the attention that they want. And I, and I, I think the parents should be fine as well. If they yeah, aren't the, teaching their kids manners or, or respect. And or decency or how to follow the law. And you know what's interesting, Debbie, is that uh, I don't know if it's so much that they're trying to get attention uh, as much as it is they're trying to get money. They want to steal things that are expensive and sell them later uh, because they want money and they don't want to work and the rest of the world has to go to work every day to earn a living. And they want to be able to go to Foot Locker and walk out with 10 boxes in their arms. And now they could sell sneakers that they didn't pay for and it's 100% profit and they could get whatever they want for it. And you're right, the parents should be fine as well. They're the ones that are creating these monsters that think they have a right to steal other people's belongings and do what they want. Uh, it's it's a it's a damn shame what's going on. Debbie, thank you for the call. Winona, Minnesota, big shout out to KWNO. Let us continue very quickly. Jim in Las Cruces, New Mexico, K-O-B-E. Go for it. You got 40 seconds. Will Eric Adams be able to explain all that cash he got from Turkey? Maybe so, maybe no. But to me, it's looking kind of murky. <laughs> we've got we've got a resident poet, Jim, in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Thank you, my brother, for the call. And uh, we got Rob in Mitchell, South Dakota. I don't know if we'll be able to squeeze you in. Uh, up, there goes the music. Uh, Rob, give us a call tomorrow. I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, immigration. And folks, thank you, everybody that's tuned in, everybody that's listening to the podcast and checking out This Is America with Rich Valdez. That's my personal podcast, uh, as well as the Rich Valdez America at Night podcast and listening online. Folks, take care. Good night. And God bless America. I'm Rich Valdez. Clarence Thomas. Time. Here we go. Hi, it's Rich Valdez, keeping track of everything happening in America at night. On our next show, Americans need an extra $11,000 a year to afford the same quality of life we had just two years ago. I'll talk about inflation with former Trump economic advisor Steve Moore. I'll also be checking in with investigative journalist Shane Cashman, who recently spent two days undercover in Ohio catching child predators. Wow. He shares his experience in an article for, I can't read all that. He'll tell us about the demon hunters when he joins us. Plus, we're going to take your calls on all of the hot news stories of the day right here with me, Rich Valdez, on the next America at Night. <clears throat> What's up, America? It's Rich Valdez keeping an eye on everything going on in America at Night. Join me on our next show for former Trump economic advisor Steve Moore. Inflation is hitting us all, but some states are feeling it worse than others. About half of Americans now have a side hustle just to make ends meet. Later, 
There's a compelling new article, The Demon Hunters, Two Days in Ohio Catching Child Predators. I'll speak with investigative journalist Shane Cashman. Plus, your thoughts and opinions on the hot news stories of the day, right here with me, Rich Valdez, on the next America at Night. What's up, America? It's Rich Valdez. Join me on our next show for a look at inflation and side hustles with former Trump economic advisor Steve Moore. Plus, an investigative journalist and writer, Shane Cashman, he tells us how he went undercover to track child predators. All of that and more with me on the next America at Night, right here on 100.1 FM and AM 1020 KDKA. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a good night. Let's, uh, Let's do it again tomorrow. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? (laughs) You pay me more. Jeff Smith teaches on the sliding scale. (laughs) Those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.